Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris and to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. It's Monday, February 27th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's look at today's weather forecast from KCRG, first thing here. The threat of heavy rain and embedded thunderstorms will last through mid-morning, then off to the east and away from us. Totals over an inch look possible for portions of eastern Iowa and will result in rapid rises in creeks mainly. Ponding of water in ditches, fields, and some urban areas may also occur in the heaviest showers and thunderstorms due to the ground still having some frost in it. As for severe risk, never say never, but it appears very unlikely at this time due to the time of day and the fact that it's February. The wind will be quite gusty this morning as the rain and storms move across the area. Any robust shower or thunderstorm will be capable of tapping into some gusty winds aloft and could feasibly bring gusts over 45 miles per hour. This afternoon, the system will start moving away, so while we lose the precipitation, we'll likely increase the wind this afternoon, once again with some gusts over 40 miles per hour. Look for the wind to back down significantly late tonight into tomorrow morning. Plan on highs to hit early in the day, with readings in the upper 40s to lower 50s. As the north wind increases this afternoon, plan on temperatures to fall to the upper 30s and lower 40s by 6 p.m. Looking ahead, a much weaker system will affect the area tomorrow evening. As of right now, impacts appear very low but a brief time of mixed precipitation may occur over the northern half of the area. Little to no ice or snow accumulation is expected with this system. Beyond this system, another one may try to make a run at eastern Iowa on Friday. However, trends have been to keep that system off to our southeast. We'll keep watching it because if it does indeed trend back to the northwest, it may impact our area with accumulating snow. Again, the trend right now is to stay southeast as of this update. As for temperatures, they are pretty good this week, with many 30s and 40s likely for highs. Lows won't be bad either, mainly in the 20s. Let's jump right into the stories on the front page now, and they include Putin says NATO a threat, let the gaming begin, chickadee checkoff donations, keep falling, and we begin reading the story that appears at the top of the page. Legislators face funnel week. Pipelines, LGBTQ bills must clear committee if they are to stay alive. The column begins with a photograph of Iowa House Speaker Pat Grassley as he speaks to reporters about the private school assistance proposal being considered in the legislature on Thursday. Story was written by Caleb McCullough and Aaron Murphy of the Courier's Des Moines Bureau, Dateline Des Moines. Iowa House Republicans plan on moving a bill that would put limits on planned carbon dioxide pipeline constructions out of a committee before a key legislative deadline this week. The bill is one of several high-profile bills that must pass a full committee vote before funnel deadline, Friday, after which Only bills that have been passed out of committee can be considered. Budget and tax policy bills 
are exempt from the funnel, and legislative leaders have ways to maneuver if they want to introduce new bills or bring back old bills later in the session. House Speaker Pat Grassley, Republican from New Hartford, said he expects the pipeline bill will pass through the Judiciary Committee this week. Quote, we didn't file a bill without trying to move it forward, he told reporters on Thursday. That's not our expectation, unquote. The bill would prevent pipeline companies from receiving eminent domain authority unless they have secured 90% of the route of the pipeline through voluntary easements and blocks the projects until a federal regulator announces new safety regulations. It also requires the companies to be in compliance with all local zoning ordinances along the path, receive permits from other states along the route before being granted one in Iowa, and provides more compensation options for landowners who do have their land taken through eminent domain. But its chances of being considered in the Senate are unclear, where other pipeline proposals have not been given hearings. Grassley didn't name other specific bills that he expects to pass through the committees next week, but he said the House will be advancing some of the Republicans' priority bills ahead of the funnel. Quote, we've laid out a lot of pieces early in the session that were priorities, he said. Quote, some of those have seen action, some have not. So I think you're just going to see a broad amount of bills, unquote. Democrats criticized the bills that have already gone through the committee process or are on the docket next week as unproductive and ignoring the needs of Iowans. Quote, while the Republican majority has been focused on things like banning books and punishing teachers in the classroom and sending public money to private schools, we've been ignoring critical issues like child care, health care access, affordable housing, and the things that Iowans really care about, unquote. House Democratic leader Jennifer Confirst of Windsor Heights told reporters this on Thursday. Iowa Republicans have moved several bills that would limit instruction around gender identity and sexual orientation in schools and require parental notification if a student wants to go by a different set of pronouns, but a similar proposal from Governor Kim Reynolds has not yet cleared a committee. A subcommittee advanced Reynolds's Senate Study Bill 1145 on Thursday, which would prohibit teaching about gender identity and sexual activity in kindergarten through third grade and would require schools to tell parents if they believe a student is transgender. It also hits on school transparency and library book rules that Republicans have been considering this year. It would put any book successfully removed from one school library on a statewide removal list that requires parents' permission to check out at all other schools in the state and requires school districts to put their course materials online. Senate Minority Leader Zach Walls, of Democrat from Coralville, said the bill proposes heavy-handed requirements that go against basic Iowa values, unquote. Quote, it will require more school bureaucracy that will not accomplish the bill's stated purpose of more parental involvement, he said. Grassley said the bill's restricting LGBTQ topics 
and library materials at schools are being introduced with the goal of involving parents in education and keeping instruction age appropriate. Quote, a lot of times, our objectives in these pieces of legislation are empowering the parents to be able to make these kinds of decisions for and with their students, Grassley said. Under the topic of drug sales, Reynolds and Attorney General Brenna Byrd, both Republicans, proposed separate bills that would increase the charge for a drug sale that results in a death, but the proposals are likely to be combined before moving through a committee next week. Senator Brad Zahn, Republican from Urbandale, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, said this week's Byrd's office was planning to submit an agreement between the two bills, but he said he hadn't seen the proposal as of Thursday. Quote, we are going to run a bill. I would probably guess it will probably be the governor's bill because it was more expansive than the attorney general's, he said. Reynolds's bill, House Study Bill 104, would heighten penalties for selling fentanyl. It would also triple sentences for sale of a drug that results in the death of another person. A person who manufactures drugs in the presence of a minor would be subject to twice the sentence. The bill also expands the availability of naloxone, a drug used to reverse the effects of an overdose. Quote, I think it's actually a stronger bill by the time we brought the two together, Reynolds told reporters last week. Quote, they had some great enhancements to the language that we put in place, unquote. Under child labor laws, Republicans must decide whether to advance a proposal to relax Iowa's child labor laws. Under the proposal, 16 and 17-year-olds could serve drinks in a bar or restaurant, and 14 through 17-year-olds would work in manufacturing, meat lockers, and construction with parental consent and a state waiver. Each of the twin bills, Senate File 167 and House Study Bill 134, has passed out of subcommittee, but neither has been approved by the chamber's respective committees on workforce in the Senate and commerce in the House. Republicans who approved the proposal in subcommittee said the bills would help businesses find workers in a tight employment market and to help young Iowans become more engaged in work. Quote, we're going to end up with a generation of skilled leaders because of these efforts, said Senator Jason Schultz, a Republican from Schleswig. Democrats who opposed the proposal warned that it could be perilous to young Iowans to work in some of the jobs permitted in the bills. Quote, My hope is that this bill does not advance through funnel this next week, and then we can get back to focusing on kids, on actually having rewarding, enriching childhoods, and that their employment opportunities are age-appropriate and are safe, Walls said. Now, next, we have the story about gaming. Astro Esports Lounge bringing family fun to College Hill. Story filed by Donald Prominence and begins with a photograph of a man playing a virtual game with the VR headset and hand controls. Dateline Cedar Falls. A new esports lounge is opening up near the University of Northern Iowa and is already generating buzz and possibilities for collaboration. Astro Esports Lounge 
will open at the beginning of March, according to co-owners Ashin Rafiki, Omar Norwala, and Moshin Ansar. They wanted to open something family-friendly on College Hill and saw an eSports lounge as the perfect option. Quote, there's no alcohol here, Rafiki said. The age restrictions are restrictions that the games apply to, which is 13 and over. So anyone from age 13 and older can come. So it's a family-friendly place, unquote. The lounge includes 30 consoles with more than 200 games available. Rafiki said the computers are custom-made. Meanwhile, the games include some of the latest releases. Food is provided in the lounge via Oh My Grill, a nearby restaurant owned by Norwala. Given their close proximity to a key demographic, the three say overtures have already been made to UNI, and they have gotten in touch with the school's esports team. They expect Astro to be a practice area. The partners said Hawkeye Community College has also taken an interest in the business. Hawkeye is an esports program of its own. Quote, and so we're looking forward to working with them to getting their team in here and gaming out and hopefully making them better, Rafik said. While some may deride the rapid growing activity, Ansar said esports has benefits to those who get involved. Quote, gaming is something that teaches team building, encourages communication between players. So those tools can be used in everyday life, Ansar said. Among those uses, they can, quote, help our players sharpen up on social skills, on all sorts of skills relating to everyday life, unquote. The owner said there are also plans to collaborate with middle and high schools in the area. Now our next story comes from the Gazette, authored by Aaron Jordan. Title is Chickadee Checkoff Donations Keep Falling. And it begins with a photograph of a young, actually five-year-old girl looking at a bird feather through a magnifying glass. Dateline is Cedar Rapids. Donations to Iowa's Fish and Wildlife Fund, informally called the Chickadee Checkoff, fell nearly 15% last year, but have been gradually shrinking since the fund was created in the early 1980s. Study and support for Iowa's non-game animals including songbirds, turtles, frogs, owls, salamanders, is needed more than ever as many species decline in numbers, mostly because of lost habitat. North America has lost nearly 30% of its birds, about 3 million, since the 1970s, according to a 2019 article in the journal Science. Quote, there's a lot of vulnerable wildlife. We still don't have a good feel for how they are doing, said Stephanie Shepard, a wildlife diversity biologist for the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. The Cedar Rapids Gazette reports that when the Iowa legislature created the chickadee checkoff in 1982, Iowans were eager to check that box on their state income tax forms, Shepard said. That year, Iowans donated $238,477 which would be more than $700,000 in today's dollars. Over the years, more checkoff programs were added for taxpayers to make donations to other causes, including the Iowa State Fair Foundation, Firefighters Preparedness Fund, and Veterans Trust Fund, 
and child abuse prevention. These checkoffs were listed in Contribution Line 57 under Step 9 on the Iowa 1040 Individual Income Tax Form. But more than 90% of Iowans filed their individual income taxes online, the Iowa Department of Revenue reported, and it may be harder to find the checkoff line through the online programs. Of online filers in Iowa, 65% hire a tax preparer who isn't likely to ask whether taxpayers want to donate through the checkoff, Shepard said. Quote, they are trying to help people get through this process most people don't enjoy as quickly as possible, she said. Iowans who want to donate through the checkoff should tell their tax preparer in advance. But if they forget, Iowa now has an online site where people can make donations directly to the Wildlife Diversity Program. The program's donors have steadily declined in number over the years, from nearly 13,000 in the year 2003, the first year the Iowa DNR tracked the number of donors, to 6,269 for tax year 2021. Those donors were extra generous in 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic made outdoor spaces some of the only safe areas for recreation and socializing. About 7,200 donors gave an average $24 donation that year, which resulted in 175000 for the Wildlife Diversity Program. Average donation amounts were about the same in 2021, but there were 1,000 fewer donors. Just under $150,000 were raised. The Chickadee Checkoff was the first dedicated state funding to the Wildlife Diversity Program, which also gets half of the revenue from sales of natural resource license plates. The Iowa DNR also uses some hunting and fishing license fees to support non-game animals. Iowa's five Wildlife Diversity Program staff members work with land managers to make sure they are incorporating practices that support non-game animals. Staff lead surveys of bald eagles, frogs, and toads, and the rusty-patched bumblebee to see how these species continue to fare in Iowa. Program staff put up nesting boxes for barn owls endangered in Iowa and do education programming, among other activities. If the Wildlife Diversity Program had more money, there would be more staff spread around the state rather than be based only in Boone. It could work with cities to make them more friendly to birds and butterflies and update publications, some of which haven't been refreshed since the early 1990s. Shepard said. Our last front-page article comes to us from the Associated Press, titled, Putin Says Russia Cannot Ignore NATO Nuclear Capability. Russian President Vladimir Putin said in an interview broadcast Sunday that after Russia suspended its participation in the last arms control agreement with Washington, it would take into account the nuclear weapons capabilities not only of the United States, but of other NATO countries, such as France and Britain. Putin had said in a speech suspending Russia's role in the 2010 New START Treaty earlier this week that France and Britain, not parties to the agreement, had joined the United States in targeting Russia with nuclear weapons. In an interview with Russian TV, 
that was recorded Wednesday and broadcast Sunday, he said he took the action to, quote, preserve our country, ensure security and strategic stability, and added, quote, in today's conditions, when all the leading NATO countries have declared their main goal to inflict a strategic defeat on us, to make our people suffer, how can we not take into account their nuclear capabilities? Moreover, they supply weapons to Ukraine worth tens of billions of dollars, unquote. Putin was repeating his common theme that the West is bent on destroying Russia and that his one-year-old fight in Ukraine is part of a battle for Russia's very survival. He argued a year ago that his overarching role in invading Ukraine was to reduce what he perceived as threats to Russia's security and has since cited those justifications for potentially using nuclear weapons in Ukraine. As Western military aid poured into the invaded country, the Russian leader and his foreign minister have portrayed the war as a de facto fight between Russia and not just Ukraine, but NATO. Ukraine's allies have emphasized they want to avoid becoming direct fighting parties in the war while equipping Ukraine to defend itself and to retake Russian-captured territory. CIA Director William Burns said Sunday that the real issue behind the invasion is Putin's loss of control over Ukraine and the country's rise as an independent democratic state aligned with the West. Quote, he's seen that as a direct threat to the ambition that cuts to the core of his view as a Russian leader, and I think that's the backup to the horrific aggression that he's launched, Burns said on CBS's Face the Nation. New START is the last remaining arms control agreement between Moscow and Washington. In suspending his country's participation, Putin said Russia can't accept U.S. inspections of its nuclear sites, while Washington and its NATO allies seek Russia's defeat in Ukraine. The Russian president emphasized that Moscow was not withdrawing from the pact, and the Russian foreign ministry said the country would respect the treaty's caps on nuclear weapons and continue notifying the U.S. about test launches of ballistic missiles. In the interview with Russian TV, Putin didn't elaborate on how he would, quote, take into account the nuclear arsenals of NATO countries beyond those of the United States, but indicated he was open to discussion of this topic from the center of the field. Putin also used the interview to allege that the West wants to break up Russia, a notion that he has repeatedly used to justify Russian aggression in Ukraine. Quote, they have one goal, to disband the former Soviet Union and its fundamental part, the Russian Federation, Putin said. Appealing to his citizenry's nationalistic sentiments, Putin predicted that if the West succeeds in destroying Russia and establishing control, Russians may not survive as a distinct ethnic group. Quote, there will be Muscovites, some kind of people from the Urals, and so on, he said of Russia's possible fragmentation into regional groupings. The West could only partly accept Russia into the so-called family of civilized peoples 
breaking the country into separate pieces, he theorized. Claiming threats to Russia's survival is a favorite Putin theme. And Tatiana Stanovaya, a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, noted in a recent interview with the Associated Press that, quote, for him, it's all about protection, and he believes that the Russian world has been attacked from the West, and Ukrainians are part of this Russian world, unquote. Claiming the West, and not Russia, provoked the war in Ukraine is also a favorite Putin topic that many Russians buy into, said Fiona Hill, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution who served in the past three U.S. presidential administrations. Quote, they think that this is a war of them yet again defending their territory, as it has been since time immemorial, since the Mongol invasion of having to deal with invaders when they are the ones that are doing the invading, Hill said in a recent AP interview. She added that Putin's frequent references to nuclear weapons fit a pattern of menacing the world on every nuclear frontier because he knows that that's the ultimate psychological weapon. Nuclear weapons are pretty effective politically, unquote. U.S. President Joe Biden countered some of Putin's claims in a speech in Poland's capital, Warsaw, on Tuesday. Quote, the United States and the nations of Europe do not seek to control or destroy Russia. The West has not plotted to attack Russia, as Putin said today, Biden said. Quote, and millions of Russian citizens who only want to live in peace with their neighbors are not the enemy, unquote. Now we turn the page and find the Courier's regular Monday issue of Northeast Iowa Area Escapades. Here are just a few of the events and goings-on worth checking out this week in the Northeast Iowa area. Now on Tuesday, February 28th, making a heavenly noise. London's The Kingdom Choir will fill the Great Hall with a sound that resonates in the soul during their performance at 7 p.m. Tuesday at the Gallagher Blue Dorn Performing Arts Center, 8201 Dakota Street in Cedar Falls. The choir rose to international fame at the 2018 royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in England. Tickets start at $25. Buck Kid will be in effect for this show, available at the GBPAC box office, online at Unitix, or by calling 877-549-7469. A pre-show performance by the Cedar Falls Ahmad Matlock will feature a 30-minute gospel set with special guests. The event begins at 6 p.m. in the GBPAC lobby. Next, on Tuesday through Thursday, March 2nd, Farming Under the Dome. The 35th Annual Hawkeye Farm Show will fill the Unidome with hundreds of exhibits Tuesday through Thursday. The latest agricultural technologies and services focused on improving yields, reducing costs, and managing risks will be on display. Iowa State Extension Services will host educational seminars. There will be free coffee and rolls and daily drawings. Now on Wednesday, March 1st, through Sunday the 5th, Radium Girls on stage at Theater UNI. Based on true events, Radium Girls is about dial painters 
in the early 20th century who fell mysteriously ill from using radium-infused paint in their factory jobs. Theodore, you and I will present the shows at 7.30 p.m. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and at 2 p.m. on Sunday in the Strayer Wood Theater on the University of Northern Iowa campus in Cedar Falls. Tickets are available at unitix.uni or at the box office. A panel discussion is planned at 7 p.m. Monday on topics in the show. Discussion will take place in Room 108 of the Communication Arts Center on the UNI campus. On Saturday, March 4th, Spring Breakout for Farmer's Market. The Waterloo Urban Farmer's Market will present Spring Preseason Breakout Market at 10 o'clock a.m. Saturday at the Waterloo Center for the Arts at 225 Commercial Street. The admission is free. Fresh baked pies, breads, and desserts, home canned goods, honey, eggs, arts, and crafts, houseplants, home decor, jewelry, clothing, and specialty items will be offered by local makers and entrepreneurs. A silent auction is planned, proceeds to support Waterloo Urban Farmers Market. And on Saturday, March 4th, Megan Esther Gray sings Mahler. On Saturday at 7 p.m., the WCF Symphony will celebrate Cedar Valley talent with a concert featuring contralto Megan Esther Gray singing Mahler. The concert takes place at the GB Pack on the UNI campus in Cedar Falls. The UNI graduate and Cedar Falls native is a recent graduate of the Metropolitan Opera's Linderman Young Artist Development and has performed in roles large and small across the U.S. The program will feature a new work by UNI composer John Schwabe and a side-by-side performance of Shostakovich V with the Northern Iowa Symphony. Tickets can be purchased online at wcfsymphony.org slash events, at the Gallagher Blue Dorns Unitix box office, or by calling the Unitix box office at 319-273-4849, or the WCF Symphony office at 319-273-3373. Also on Saturday, March 4th, attend the Bridgerton Ball. House of Hope supporters can enjoy a saucy evening of fundraising at the House of Hope's, quote, a Bridgerton Mall, Saturday at the Waterloo Elks Club, 407 East Park Avenue. Evoking England's Regency era from the Netflix series Bridgerton, there will be dinner, dancing, and auctions. The event is from 5 to 11 p.m. on Saturday. Tickets are $60 per person. $400 for a table of eight, available at events.handbid.com. And the last event listed here is on Sunday, the 5th, La Bella Luna, Luna Fest Cedar Valley 2023 Film Festival will feature a free afternoon of short films made by women about women from 2 to 3.30 p.m. And now, listeners, we want to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, February 27th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now, since there are no obituaries in today's issue of the Courier, 
let's turn to the opinion section. Our first editorial comes from the Des Moines Register, titled, The Eagles Above Us, Familiar Tunes Among Us, and it was written by Kurt Ulrich. American bald eagles are out in great numbers these days. One cannot drive to a nearby town without seeing a couple of the magnificent creatures feeding on deer carcasses in a ditch or perched patiently in a tree, waiting for tiny creatures moving across the snow. Mice aren't on the menu like they once were. We know that mice are smart, which, unfortunately for them, is one of the reasons science uses them for experiments. If I knew how to put together a mouse union to stop the experiments on union members, believe me, I would. Mice have learned to tunnel under snow to avoid predators, and, in the spring when the snow melts, one can see complex tunnel remnants in the grass. Quite impressive. It's an odd time of year, not quite winter, not quite spring, just the melt and muck of somewhere in between. And beyond these woods, tens of thousands of dead are dying in Turkey and Syria, thanks to seismic movements of the earth, and fighter jets are being deployed to shoot down what may or may not be spy balloons drifting overhead, above the political haze of one-upmanship, above the same nuclear threat we've been fearing since the 1950s. It's the time of year when, in the soft stillness of winters afterwards, we contemplate warmer days, better days, and we look forward to riding easy toward the next thing, the next destination, the next love. A column or two ago, I mentioned nine deer crossing in front of my house, heading west. The same pleasing group passed by this morning, sort of a mini-herd. I don't know anything about the social norms in wild animals, so I can only assume they gather comfort from and in the presence of others, not something I've truly ever understood or appreciated. Many have tried to help me understand, assuming on my behalf that my life will be better if I'm, quote, out among them. Uh, no thanks. I'd rather be out in the woods alone, swinging an axe while snow falls all around, and besides, standing calf-deep in snow, blade poised overhead, and thinking of a past love, I can forever belt out breathless lines like those written by the late, great Harry Warren. My love must be a kind of blind love. I can't see anyone but you. I only have eyes for you, dear, punctuated by the only other sounds, heavy breathing, and a blade hewing wood. All of which is to say that after more than two years of silence, I have once again begun to raise my voice in song. I have been a singer for more than half a century, not as a full-time professional, but, like most of you, as a full-time amateur. That stopped when my wife passed. During her last years, I sang to her every day, particularly when I was drying and combing her hair after a shower, usually Christmas songs, easy to do because Christmas lyrics have been rattling around in my brain since early childhood. As I write this, I'm hunkered down in a snow globe world, cats in front of a fire, snow swirling about in a field in front of my house, wind blowing hard from the east, furnace humming insistently, and sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening, running through my head. One of the winter songs I used to sing, while she smiled and I brushed. The love remains, 
as does the song. And here's a note about the author. Kurt Ulrich lives in rural Jackson County. His book, The Iowa State Fair, is available from the University of Iowa Press. Now here's one from the New York Times, written by Maureen Dowd. From Carter to MTG, what a peach state plummet. When Jimmy Carter was president, I was a lowly clerk at the Washington Star. I saw him mostly through the eyes of Pat Oliphant, our brilliant biting cartoonist. As Carter came to be seen as uncool and fumbling, Oliphant drew the president smaller and smaller in relation to his tormentors, including that killer rabbit. It taught me an early lesson in the brutality of dwindling power. Four decades later, I went one weekend to interview Carter and his wife, Rosalind, in Plains, Georgia, along with my friend Jerry Rafshoon, who was Carter's media wizard. I watched Carter teach Sunday school at the Baptist Church. His friends started in the 1970s, after his original church refused to integrate. Some in Plains, disdaining his views on integration, tried to boycott his peanut business, but most came back. Quote, I had the best peanuts, he told Rafshoon. I sat with the former president as he celebrated his 93rd birthday with a concert. He asked the pianist to play Imagine. Wearing jeans and a belt with a big J.C. buckle, he showed me the four-poster walnut bed he slept in with Rosalind, which he had carved himself. The man was a marvel. The starchiness and righteousness were still there. He had not mellowed, thank God. He remained, to use the descriptor favored by one of his sons, intense. He still felt the sting of being dissed and held at a distance by his successors, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. As a post-president, Carter's decency and honesty shone. Unlike Clinton and Obama, he didn't go Hollywood. Through the Carter Center, he worked tirelessly to eradicate diseases like guinea worm and supervise elections in more than 100 countries. He cared so passionately about peace that he even offered to go on a mission for a Republican president with very different values, Donald Trump, to talk to Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Carter cared about building, furniture, and relationships. The nasty, new face of Georgia politics cares about dividing. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene followed up her furry catcalls to President Biden during the State of the Union by proposing secession. Quote, we need a national divorce, she treated on President's Day. Quote, we need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this. From the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies, we are done. Unquote. Georgia is purplish now, with two Democratic senators, as well as a governor and secretary of state, willing to stand up to the Trump election lies that Green helps spread. So it's not clear if some states would have to be, what's that word again? Segregated into blue and red bastions. Georgians could be proud of Carter, who worked prodigiously to bring peace to the Middle East. Now they have a Congresswoman a creepy confidant of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who talked gibberish about Jewish space lasers and called AOC the squad, the Jihad squad. 
Green said black people, quote, are held slaves to the Democratic Party, unquote, and labeled Black Lives Matter, quote, the most powerful domestic terrorist organization within, inside the United States, unquote. Carter, a brainiac, is a former nuclear engineer with a soaring IQ. Green, a maniac, ranted to Tucker Carlson on Thursday about, quote, this war against Russia in Ukraine, unquote. When Carter became governor in 1971, many hoped we had begun to move past the kind of hatred and racial struggles that defined the South in the 1950s and 60s. He placed Martin Luther King Jr.'s portrait in the state capitol and said in his inaugural speech, quote, I say to you quite frankly that the time for racial discrimination is over, unquote. Time magazine hailed the New South on its cover, saying Carter had triumphed over the South's demagogic past and Confederate ghosts. Now, thanks to the likes of Trump and Green, we're back in the toxic soup. Quote, Marjorie Taylor Green is following in the footsteps of racist old bigots like Lester Maddox and George Wallace, Rafshoon said. Green is the apotheosis of those who love hating so much they no longer have any interest in collaborating for the good of the country and the world. Carter is the apotheosis of the mantra, quote, we're better than this, unquote. Quote, Jimmy Carter represents all that is good and decent in public life, said Jonathan Alter, the author of, quote, his very best, Jimmy Carter, a life. And, quote, Marjorie Taylor Greene represents all that is sinister and despicable in public life, unquote. Alter has been fielding calls from around the world from people writing stories about Carter since the 98-year-old started hospice a week ago. Those who know Carter joke that he's so competitive, he has no doubt asked his doctor for the record for hospice care so he can break it and add to his list of accomplishments. He wanted to be home with his wife of 76 years, Rosie as he calls her. The two were introduced when Carter was a toddler by his mother, Miss Lillian, a nurse, a couple of days after she delivered Rosalind, which sort of makes them sweethearts for 95 years. Quote, he's en route to becoming an American Gandhi, Alter said. He went from obscurity and zero percent in the polls to lead an epic American life by offering a positive, inspirational message, unquote. A message that is a rebuke, Alter said, quote, to what is twisted and wrong about MAGA America, unquote. So who do we want to be? Marjorie Taylor Greene or Jimmy Carter? Destroyers or builders? Next, we have a piece by Monty Shaw, which appeared in the Des Moines Register. The future of Iowa ethanol production depends on carbon capture. Growing up in a small town of Shenandoah, I came of age during the farm crisis of the 1980s. Simply put, it was not a fun time to be a farm kid. The single biggest force making things better for ag over the last 40 years was the explosive growth of the renewable fuels industry during the first decade of this century. In high school, I remember getting 30 cents under the Chicago price for corn at the local elevator. Today, our local ethanol plant routinely offers 30 to 40 cents over Chicago. That change in farm income did not happen by accident. 
and we should not assume it won't go away if ethanol production does. After a 30-year hiatus, my family recently started farming our own land again. To be fair, my brother and dad do most of the work. Basically, they let me drive the grain cart. It was great to get my son back home last fall to help as three generations brought in the harvest. Isn't that why we are here? To utilize the ground the good Lord provided, to do so in a sustainable and profitable way, and to try to leave the place a little better than we found it for the next generation? I understand the deep connections farmers feel for their land. I share it, and I appreciate the emotions that arise when the topic of carbon capture and sequestration, or CCS, comes up. The farm I grew up on now has a pipeline running under it and a runway going over it. Believe me, I understand eminent domain. I also know that agriculture has always been successful by staying aligned with its customers' needs. Today's ethanol plants are no different. The largest domestic and export markets are demanding low-carbon ethanol. Last year's passage of the federal clean fuel tax credits were also an absolute game-changer, equating to up to $0.60 per gallon of ethanol with CCS. That equates to $60 million a year to a 100 million gallon ethanol plant. Ethanol production will migrate to plants that can access these incentives. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that capturing and sequestering carbon will be life or death for most ethanol plants over the next five years. The Iowa Renewable Fuels Association is not asking you to support carbon policies or clean fuel tax credits. We are asking you to honestly consider the real-world impact they have on Iowa's ethanol plants. If we want to maintain or grow Iowa ethanol production, it will require CCS. If Iowa enacts laws that make CCS a practical impossibility for its ethanol plants, it will be a massive blow to our farm economy and the entire Iowa economy. Renewable fuels production pulled Iowa out of the farm crisis of the 1980s and the stagnation of the 1990s. I do not want my son and his generation of farm kids to come of age during an Iowa farm crisis of the 2020s. Not only would it be a bad time to be a farm kid, but this time it would be self-inflicted. Iowa Renewable Fuels Association members urge all Iowans to pull together and to find a fair and equitable path forward for CCS. The future of Iowa ag depends on it. A note about the author, Monty Shaw is executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Now let's get back to local news from the Courier. This is the Metro Briefs column, Maple Syrup Fest, set for March 10th through the 12th, Dateline Cedar Falls. The 37th Maple Syrup Festival will be March 10th, 11th, and 12th at the Hartman Reserve Nature Center at 657 Reserve Drive. The annual community fundraising event features all-you-can-eat pancakes with maple syrup, sausage, sidecar coffee, and Hanson's dairy products. Those attending will learn how the conservation staff makes syrup from the reserve's sugar maple trees. It is a reservations-only event. Go to the events menu at www.blackhawkcountyparks.com.
to make reservations. Adults are $10, youth ages 3 to 15 are $5, and children 2 and under are free. Paper tickets will not be sold in advance or at the door, and no walk-ins will be accepted. Guests can be seated only at the time for which reservations were made. There will be a raffle of prizes. Major sponsors are the VGM Group, Ron and April Cervetti, Dr. Greg and Susan Lance, and Koloff Media. All proceeds from this fundraiser will benefit environmental education, recreational programs, and natural resource management of Black Hawk County Parks. Call 319-277-2187 for more information. McElroy Trust grants money to NP. Dateline Nashua. The McElroy Trust will provide a $50,000 grant for the new baseball and softball complex once the Nashua Plainfield Community School District raises $450,000 for the project. Fundraising efforts are currently underway through the schools. Raffle tickets may be purchased through the superintendent's office, fundraising committee members, or at home athletic events. A $3 million bond issue on the March 7th special election ballot will support the complex if it's approved. The project would create new high school baseball and softball diamonds with lights along with concessions and restroom facilities. There would also be two youth diamonds at the site. Next, WHC has new nursing officer, Waverly. The Waverly Health Center has named Kelly Hilsenbeck as the new chief nursing officer. She has been a nurse since 2004 and has served in leadership roles since 2013. Hilsenbeck has clinical and leadership experience in the areas of medical surgical nursing, education, cardiac, and renal patient care, long-term care, quality, regulatory and accreditation, patient experience, and risk management. Since 2020, she has been serving as the manager of quality services at the WHC. She holds a master's degree in nursing administration, is a certified professional in healthcare quality, and is certified in infection prevention. Next, Waterloo Public Library announces upcoming activities. Datelines Waterloo. The following events are planned in March at the Waterloo Public Library. On Mondays, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., shop the basement for books at Friends Used Bookstore prices. Open to all ages, proceeds benefit special events and programming at the library. And also, first and third Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., shop the basement for books at Friends Used Bookstore prices. Open to adults, teens, youth, with proceeds benefiting special events and programming at the library. Monday through Thursday and Saturday at 10.30 to 11 o'clock a.m., Story Times in the Storytime Corner, Mother Goose Storytime for Infant to Two Years. Mondays, Preschool Storytime 3 to 5 Years. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Terrific Twos Storytime for Two-Year-Olds. Thursdays, Family Storytime for All Ages is on Saturday. In addition, a number of activities are happening during the next week. 
Those include Friday at 10 a.m. to noon, First Friday Flick, see the movie Where the Crawdads Sing, a 2022 release, in Meeting Room A.B., popcorn and soda provided free of charge, sponsored by Friends of the Waterloo Public Library, and it's open to adults. And Sunday, from 3 to 4 p.m., Lego Lab at the library in Meeting Room A.B. Children and their families are invited to build Lego creations based on this month's theme of animals. All creations will be on display for one month in the library. Legos will be provided, so participants should not bring their own. Now we turn the page to the Nation and World section of the Courier. Waste shipments to resume. Contaminated material from derailment will be sent to Ohio sites. This story from the Associated Press, and the dateline is East Palestine, Ohio. Shipment of contaminated waste from the site of a fiery train derailment earlier this month in eastern Ohio near the Pennsylvania state line will resume Monday to two approved sites in Ohio, according to federal environmental authorities. The announcement came a day after the Environmental Protection Agency ordered Norfolk Southern to pause shipments from the site of the February 3rd derailment in East Palestine to allow additional oversight measures about where waste was shipped. Some liquid and solid waste had already been taken to sites in Michigan and Texas. EPA-certified facilities able to accept some of the waste had been identified, which meant shipments could restart Monday. Region 5 Administrator Deborah Shore of the Environmental Protection Agency said on Sunday, some of the liquid waste will be sent to a facility in Vickery, Ohio, for disposal in an underground injection well, Shore said. Norfolk Southern will also be shipping solid waste to an incinerator in East Liverpool, Ohio, and additional solid waste disposal locations are being sought, she said. Quote, All of this is great news for the people of East Palestine and the surrounding community because it means cleanup can continue at a rapid pace, she said. The Ohio governor's office said Saturday night that five of the 20 truckloads, about 280 tons, of hazardous solid waste had been returned to East Palestine after 15 truckloads were disposed of at a Michigan hazardous waste treatment and disposal facility. Shore said material shipped out to sites in other states, but later returned to East Palestine, would now be shipped to the two Ohio sites. All of the rail cars, except for the 11 cars held by the National Transportation Safety Board, have been removed from the site, which will allow evacuation of additional contaminated soil and installation of monitoring wells to check for groundwater contamination, said Annie Vogel, director of the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency. No one was injured when 38 Norfolk Southern cars derailed in a fiery, mangled mess on the outskirts of town. But as fears grew about a potential explosion due to hazardous chemicals in five of the rail cars, officials evacuated the area. They later opted to release and burn toxic vinyl chloride from the tanker cars 
sending flames and black smoke billowing into the sky again. Federal and state officials have repeatedly said it's safe for evacuated residents to return to the area, and that air testing in the town and inside hundreds of homes hasn't detected any concerning levels of contaminants. The state says the local municipal drinking water system is safe, and bottled water is available for those with private wells. Despite those assurances, many residents have expressed a sense of mistrust or have lingering questions about what they have been exposed to and how it will impact the future of their families and communities. And now, friends, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, February 27th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can access a recording of today's reading and those of the other newspapers around Iowa that we read on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. Thank you.